continue verse by verse. Uh, I'm just trying to prove to you guys that I'm um, a multifaceted in my ministry. And uh, yes, oh, oh yeah, oh no, no, you're good. No need, no need to rush. She was going to help me. You're, yeah, she there you go. Yeah, there you go. All right. Say hi to everybody, Olivia. Say hi. All right. <laughs> John chapter number three. And uh, we're going to be starting in verse number uh, 15. Verse, well, actually, we're starting in verse 14. And uh, got a lot to, uh, to go over today. And I'm really excited about where we're at in our lesson. Um, and let me just say this. I'll start out with this. Um, it is a blessing on the Sunday morning of Daylight Savings for everyone to be here. <laughs> now, some of you kids don't know what the struggle was like in the 90s, okay? We did not have phones and computers to fast forward our clocks. Can I get a witness? So if you did not go through your house and change every single clock, you'd be late to church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's right. Amen, brother. Amen. That's right. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, it's, uh, it's good to see you guys this morning. Um, it is a blessing to be able to open up this book and go verse by verse with God's people. It's good stuff. All right, verse number 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. What a great verse. Amen. And it's in there because a guy that is a little squeamish about coming to Jesus Christ in the daytime is willing to make the trip at night. And uh, that's why this verse is here. You know, it took me years before I realized that verse was connected to the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. This is all being recorded in the Gospel of John, but it's a, it's a really kind of a private conversation between Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord is telling Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm glad that the Bible, when it says something, it means what it says. I'm glad that when it says whosoever, it means whosoever. Don't you like that song, Jesus included me, yes, he included me. When the Lord said whosoever, he included me. Aren't you glad for that? And when it says everlasting life, aren't you glad it means everlasting life? All right, look at verse number 17. For God sent not his son of the world to condemn the world. A lot of people say that, you know, if you're preaching the gospel, you're condemning people far, far the opposite, guys. It's the opposite. If, if you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching hope and you're preaching life. Uh, matter of fact, and I mean this as graciously and, and, uh, and generously as I can say it, uh, verse number 18 answers that very well. Uh, the reality is you read verse 18 for yourself. And what you'll find out is this, um, to be condemned, you have to do nothing. You, you've already done it. You've sinned, all right? To be justified, to be saved, there, there's an action you must take, and that action goes back to placing your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, all right? Look at verse number 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Aren't you glad you're not condemned? Amen. Uh, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Father, we pray for your blessing on the Sunday school hour. Lord, I pray for the kids downstairs as they're learning and uh, growing in the word. I pray you give those Sunday school teachers wisdom, uh, give them grace and patience, and Lord, be able to reach every single heart. And Lord, I pray you plant the seeds, Lord, not just downstairs, but up here as well. Lord, you know exactly where everyone is at this morning. You know what they're going through. You know what they need. I pray you bless our time in the word in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so let me just say this much. In verse number 15 and 16, uh, if, if you want to escape the, 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 the perishing, and we talked about that last week, perishing is not just in the flesh. It's not just a temporary thing. It is eternal in nature, just like it mentions in verse number 16, everlasting life at the end of that verse. Prior to that, it mentions perishing. And that perishing is also everlasting. And, and listen, I, I, I've mentioned it, Brother Tim's mentioned it. Uh, there is no joy, there is no uh, relishing, there's nothing that brings me happiness to think about eternal condemnation. I, I think there'd be something wrong with you if you enjoyed that thought. All right, I, I really do. Having said that, it does not change what God said. <laughs> and, and the reality is, if we're going to look at this and go, man, thank God for everlasting life, we have to look at the counter and understand that it is also biblically sound to say that people perish and that when they do, they perish eternally, all right? Because the, the reality is this, God made you a, a body, a soul, and a spirit. And when you die, your body goes to the grave and your spirit goes back to God because he gave you that life. And your soul is going to either go to heaven or hell. Those are the two options. That's it. And, and you say, well, how do I go? Do I go to join the church? Do I get baptized? No, none of that stuff. You know what it is? It has to do with your putting your faith on what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary. All right? Belief is what brings justification. Look again, if you would, at verse 15, that whosoever believeth not in a religion, all right, not in the church, not in baptism, in a person, all right, and that person's name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, at Romans chapter number 3. Romans 3, we went verse by verse in the book of Romans uh, prior to John. I always tell people when they first get saved, read the book of John, read the book of Romans. They're great foundational books. Uh, and so we did Romans, now we're back in John. But we may reference Romans every once in a while because Romans is a great doctrinal book. When you talk about getting doctrinally grounded in the Word of God as a New Testament Christian, Romans, man, it covers salvation, justification, imputation, substitution, all the shun words, right? Uh, look at Romans 3, verse number 26. Now, Romans 3, 26. Uh, actually, go back to verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, there's that one of those shun words, through faith in His blood. You see, your faith has to be placed in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you on the cross of Calvary. It's not just, I believe in Jesus. You can believe in Jesus as a historical figure. It blows my mind how many times a year Time and Life magazine will have on the cover something about Jesus. Uh, more than any other religious figure, that, that should tell you something right there. Uh, and they're always looking for the historical Jesus. And you know, here's the thing. You can find him. He's in the Bible. <laughs> Uh, but oftentimes we want to go outside of that. And when you, when you think about uh, what the Bible says about salvation, it's not found in any other thing outside of a person. Look what it says here in verse number 25. To declare his righteousness, not yours. Jesus Christ, when he died, he expressed his righteousness, uh, living a sinless life and dying and giving a perfect sacrifice for your sins. He expressed the righteousness of God through his life and his sacrifice. That's why when a person goes, well, I'm going to try to get to heaven on my own. You know what you're saying? I'll go on my own righteousness. Your righteousness does not match his righteousness. Uh, therein lies the issue. Look, if you would, at verse 25, again, for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in who? You see, your justification doesn't come from anything you do outside of believing on Jesus Christ. Uh, look at Romans chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse uh, number 4. Romans 4, verse 4. Now to him that worketh... Now, if you're saved and you already know this, praise God, this is a review for you. But if you're not saved and you're trying to get to heaven by your goodness... 
Can I just tell you what you're looking at this morning is you won't make it on your goodness. All right. I'm not saying it to be harsh. I'm saying it because I couldn't make it on my goodness. All right. And no one in this room can make it on their goodness because your righteousness does not compare. Listen, are you going to look in the eyes of God and say, I was tempted at every point, just like as you are yet without sin. You can't do that. There's only one man that ever did that. And that man's name is Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 4, verse number uh, 5. Romans 4, verse number 5. And look what it says here. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Look at Romans chapter 10. A little bit to the right. Romans chapter number 10. Now, I do want to make this very clear. This is when there are some people that, um, that I think are great... Uh, you know, just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean they're a terrible person. You know that, right? So someone could be a, a really good person and believe the wrong thing. Can we agree on that? All right, look, I can tell you right now, um, I've got a lot of family that are, uh, uh, some are saved and some are not, uh, that are Catholics. Just because you're Catholic doesn't mean you're lost. Just because you're Baptist doesn't mean you're saved. All right, but by being Catholic doesn't automatically make you saved. Just like being Baptist doesn't automatically, automatically make you saved. And I've got some really, really good family that I love, that I know that are good people, and frankly, in some ways, live better lives than a lot of Bible-leaving Christians do, and more charitable. I'm just being honest with you. But if, if they're counting on their good works to get to heaven, which is what all, uh, many of them have been taught, if they're counting on that to get to heaven, they won't make it on that. Right, you say, well, that's harsh. It's true. Let me ask you a question. If, if you could do it on your own, why did Jesus Christ die? What would have been the point of his entire sacrifice? Oh, oh, to show us a better way, a, a better way for what? Uh, oh, how to live. Okay, well, he showed you how to live. He lived a sinless life. Can you do that? All right, and there has to be another lesson in there. Here's the lesson. You're not him. Amen. All right, and, and for any of you gentlemen that are married, and if you have a hard time with that, we're going to ask your wives. Is he anything like Jesus? No, he's not. Amen. All right, so you're not him, and I'm not him. And, 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 and what God does, he goes, look, all that you have to do to go to hell is keep living life the way you're living. Well, is it because I, I, I lied and I stole and I did this? And no, no, no. You don't go to hell for any of that stuff. The reason you go to hell is because of something you haven't done. You haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. People go, well, you're going to tell me that some guy could go to jail for killing someone. You know, and he, I always love these illustrations people come up with. You know, there's some of these far extreme ones, you know. And, you know, he killed 20 people. And, and then on his deathbed, he asked Jesus Christ to save him. And, and he really genuinely does that. You're going to tell me he goes to heaven and someone lived a great life as a religious person, dies and go to hell because they trust on their righteousness? Yes. Yes. Because that's what the Bible says. <laughs> Not because of what I think, but listen, I, I'm not advocating, by the way, let's be clear, this goes online, I'm not advocating you murder 20 people and on your deathbed accept Jesus Christ. You got to give these disclaimers these days, all right? That's not what I'm advocating. I'm just simply saying because of the far out illustrations that some people use, it's kind of like, what about the heathen in Africa? Are you, let's talk about the heathen in America. We got plenty right here. Why are you talking about the heathen in Africa, right? So, so, so the, these far illustrations, well, listen, if that's the way you're going to go, can I give you the illustration in the Bible? Here's a man that's hanging on a cross for his transgressions, and he did wrong. I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the man that's next to Jesus, and this man's a thief, and he knows it, and he looks over at another man that's mocking Jesus Christ after, and by the way, when it starts out, they're both doing it. They're both in cahoots together, making fun of Jesus Christ. And after a while, one of them has enough sense to go, that guy, listen, when you're a criminal, you know how to spot an innocent man. 
And that guy looks at the innocent man. He goes, that man is not like us. And he looks over to Jesus Christ and he says, uh, uh, Lord, would you remember me, remember me when you come into your kingdom? And the Lord says to him, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, I understand if you want to get real dispensational, it's right before the death and all that kind of stuff. But let me just say there's a picture of, of something going on there. And the picture is this. That man doesn't have time to get baptized. That man doesn't have time to join a church. That man doesn't have time to clean up his act. That man's a criminal and deserves to die and go to hell in the eyes of God. And you know what Jesus Christ says? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Well, what good thing did that man do? Absolutely nothing outside of placing his faith in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 10. Look, if you would, at verse uh, number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be what? I like that. It's pretty simple. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it is the heart placing its faith on Jesus Christ that gives you the righteousness of God. And God gives you, his, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God gives you his righteousness, all right, that you don't deserve, that you could not earn, that you could not live up to, frankly. God gives you that righteousness by you placing your faith in what Jesus Christ did. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look if you would at verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, uh, I was talking with someone about this recently. It gave me a great pleasure a couple of weeks ago. We had uh, popcorn preaching, and uh, I enjoyed all the messages. It was a blessing to hear from everybody, but it was really something to see Ben up here because I know where Ben was at a couple years ago. I'm not picking on him. He knows where he was at a couple years ago, and when he gets up and he reads, if any man be in Christ, I'm just like inside. I'm like, that's good. <laughs> that's good uh, because he, you see, what is that? That's a new creature in Christ. If any man be in Christ, uh, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, look down if you would at verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world. We're going to dig into the subject of what it means by the world. Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, not, in other words, not charging, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Uh, look down at verse 21. For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So you know what he does? He takes your sin and puts it on... When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he takes your sin and puts it on Jesus Christ. He takes Jesus' righteousness and puts it on your account. That's a great deal. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, the only way you can do it is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, I implore you, before you leave today, find someone that can open up a Bible, myself, other men in this room, that can open up a Bible and tell you how you can be saved. You know, in 10 minutes, your life can go from everlasting condemnation to everlasting life, just like that. Uh, that's a blessing. Go back to John chapter number 3. So again, what we're seeing here is there's a little bit of a shift. Now, as you go to John 3, I actually go to Ezekiel 18. Forgive me. Keep going a little bit further left, because I do want to draw a little bit of an analogy or a little bit of a, excuse me, a contrast, rather, uh, from Old Testament to New. Uh, I think there are some, this is where I started and I didn't quite finish the thought. Um, there are some well-meaning, good people uh, who I would probably agree with probably 95% of, of what I believe with, but here's kind of where they go with when it comes to salvation. From Genesis to Revelation, it's always been the same. And uh, Adam got saved just like Abraham got saved, just like Moses got saved, just like you get saved today. 
And I think people mean well when they say that. And there's elements of truth in what they're saying in regards to the fact that it's always taken faith uh, to, to connect with God. Right? The Bible says that in, in, in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, we know from Revelation 4, the reason that you're on this planet, the reason you're breathing right now, isn't this a humbling thought? You exist right now, and you breathe, and your heart pumps, and your lungs are working to please not you, but someone else. That's why you're here, according to Revelation chapter 4. Well, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in order to communicate, in order to, 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 to have any kind of relationship with God, faith has to be involved. However, what you see in the Old Testament is it was faith along with works. Now, when I say that, a, a, a New Testament Christian kind of goes, whoa, 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 that's not biblically sound. You're right. For a New Testament person, it's not biblically sound. For an Old Testament person, it absolutely is. And I'm going to prove it to you here. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18. Um, and, and let me just say this much. The Lord, if you, if you stand before him right now, and, and you are not, now I know this is not how it works, but if you are knocking at the, at, at St. Peter's gate, the pearly gate, and, uh, and he were to ask you why he should let you in, if your answer is because I lived a righteous life, you're not getting in. All right? Now, now in the Old Testament, it was faith. Now, now the reason I, people have a hard time with this is because in your mind, you, when you think of salvation, you think of new birth. You think of being spiritually circumcised, having all your sins blotted out, having the righteousness of God imputed unto you, being sealed with the Spirit of God. Can I just, get, let me just give you this. The things I just mentioned, those are New Testament blessings. Those are not consistent all through your Bible. You don't get the Holy Spirit and keep Him forever in the Old Testament. He would come on people and leave them. Come on Him and leave them. Look at Saul. Look at different prophets. All right, so look at Ezekiel 18 real quickly. Ezekiel 18, and look if you would at verse number 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, let me just stop right there. Here's the good news for you as a New Testament Christian. Your soul cannot sin. You know what 1 John says? Uh, That which is born of God cannot commit sin. Well, I still sin every day. Do you guys still sin every day? The message this morning is going to be about sin. So if you're lying, you're going to get it right between the eyes. Don't lie. (laughs) You still sin every day. However, the real you, the soul does not sin. Because when you got saved, God separated, Colossians 2, the soul from the flesh, the new man from the old man. You better thank God for that. If you didn't do that, you couldn't have eternal security. All right? So, so, so when it says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die, understand this much. All right? The part of you that still sins today is the flesh. All right? The soul, your soul, the eternal you cannot sin. So right away when you read this, you ought to know something. You ought to understand in Ezekiel chapter 18, this is not aimed at you, all right? If you were to go to Ezekiel 20, which we're not going to do right now, you'd understand the entire context of this thing is God speaking to his people, the Old Testament nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, in Ezekiel 20, and again, we're not going to go there, he talks about the Sabbath and how it's a sign between himself and Israel. All right, but, but look at Ezekiel 18 verse 20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Before you were saved, you know what your problem was? When you sinned in the flesh, it it counted on your soul. Because everything you did in the flesh was connected to your soul. All right? And thank God after you're saved, it's no longer that way. In the Old Testament, there's no separation. That's why it would say in Leviticus, for example, the soul that toucheth this unclean thing, that soul shall be unclean until evening. You guys ever read that in Leviticus and wonder why it says the soul is unclean? For the body touching something? You ought to question that. The reason why is because they're connected. 
Well, now the New Testament, if you're a born-again Christian, thank God, that is no longer the case. But let's keep reading. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The, now watch this. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. That's not how your New Testament salvation works. It's not about your righteousness being on you. It's about his righteousness being on you. Now let's keep reading. Look at verse 21. But if the wicked shall turn from all his sins he hath committed and keep all my, whoa, 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 keep all my statutes. Guys, I don't know about you, that does not sound like New Testament faith. That sounds like you better keep the law or else. All right, keep all my statutes and do that which is what? Lawful and right. He shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his what? That he hath what? That is not New Testament, guys. You don't live in your own righteousness. You live in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All right, now let's keep reading. He shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, said the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he has sinned, in them shall he what? Die. All right, look back at verse number 20. What is he talking about dying? Not just the body. You see what I'm talking about? This is not the same as New Testament. In the New Testament, you get the righteousness of God by placing your faith on what Jesus Christ did for you, plus nothing. In the Old Testament, it, it is you believing what God said, faith, and then following it up and keeping the law. And in that, you get your righteousness. Now, look, you go, well, how does that compare with the New Testament? Uh, I thought the Bible says you can't earn salvation. You could not earn the salvation that Jesus Christ earned for you. That salvation could never be earned. That's why in the Old Testament, when they die, they don't go directly in the presence of God. Some of you know this already. You know where they would go? Abraham's bosom, Luke chapter 16. They would go to paradise in the heart of the earth. That's different than today. Why am I pointing this out? You know where a lot of lost people are at when you ask them, are you saved, and you start talking to them? You know what they think? Ezekiel 18. I can't live it. They ask them, are you, you know you realize you're going to hell? You know Jesus Christ can save you? Yeah, but I'm not really going to say, why not? I just talked to a young man not that long ago. We were downstairs talking to him. And, uh, and we got so far in the thing, and he goes, I just, I don't think I'm ready to live it. And I told him, well, you're never going to be ready to live it. All right, you're never going to be perfectly ready to live the, the Christian life. Uh, you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Then the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and he enables you to do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> All right, but, but, but what, what I'm getting at is this. Most lost people, when you talk to them about righteousness, they think Ezekiel 18. They may not know Ezekiel 18 from a hole in the ground. I'm not saying they go, Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 20 through 24, tell me that I must be in my... They don't do that, but they think that way. Automatically, they kind of think Old Testament. I need to fix my life in order to come to God. Listen, if you wait to fix your life in order to come to God, you're going to wait a long time, and you may never make that trip, all right? So what I'm trying to show you is this. Today, when it comes to your salvation, you cannot earn it. The salvation Jesus Christ purchased on the cross, the only way you can get it is as a free gift when you place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Go to John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. Hopefully that's clear. I am not advocating that in the Old Testament they gain the same salvation that we do by their works. That's not possible. 
And Romans refutes that ideology very well, Romans 4. Uh, look at uh, uh, John chapter 3, and I want to focus on one word here. Look, if you would, at verse 15 and verse 16. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, brother, if you can go to the next slide. Uh, when the Bible says whosoever, does it really mean whosoever? All right, well, I'm glad you say that. I'm going to challenge your thinking a little bit. Not because I'm not trying to play devil's advocate. I'm going to play John Calvin's advocate for just a moment. Now, let me say this much. Um, let's be fair. If you were coming out of the Catholic Church in the Dark Ages and they were threatening to burn you at the stake, persecute you, cut off your head, whatever, and you didn't have all your stuff doctrinally right, I can give you some slack on that. So let's give them a little bit of slack on that, okay? However, uh, let me give you in a nutshell... Some things that, and I'm not throwing stones here. There are good, I got to give these disclaimers anymore because when you point out false doctrine, people go, you're hateful. I don't hate anybody. I'm just telling you this is not right. Amen. (laughs) Some things aren't right doctrinally. You need to know as a church what they are. When you're listening to someone on the radio and you kind of hear some of these words, you just stop and go, something's off here. All right. Uh, Let me give you just in a nutshell what John Calvin taught. All right. And it can be kind of summarized in an acronym called TULIP. T-U-L-I-P, the total depravity of man. Here's what that means. You are so depraved, you can't even choose Christ. Christ has to choose you. Your, your, will is, your, your sinful nature is so bad, you can't even choose God. You have no ability in yourself to choose the right thing. All right? Now, the problem with that is that kind of makes the liar out of God because he over and over and over, choose you this day. You must choose. Which, you know, he draws a line in the sand. Uh, who's on the Lord's side? Well, I have no choice. Therefore, I cannot move right? Uh, I mean, oh, the way that Calvin dealt with that is, well, if whoever got on the right side, that meant they were part of God's elect. Now, just bear with me. The other part here is unconditional election, which means this. God, in eternity past, chose who'd be saved, who'd be damned. Uh, don't like your hair, you're going to hell. Don't like your tie, you're going to hell. Nice hair, you're going to heaven. I mean, I don't know. All right. It was predestined from the foundation of the world for that to fall down. Amen. All right. So, so and, and not only did that happen, also the device is going crazy up there, so ignore that. All right, so unconditional election, God basically chose who'd be saved and who'd be damned. All right, the, the problem with that is this, uh, when it comes to election in the Bible, it's according, the Bible says, according to something called foreknowledge. And what that means is God did not make you either saved or lost, okay? What God did is God, because he's God, he knows who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. That's clear from the Bible, all right? Limited atonement. We're going to park there for a little bit. What that means is this. God did not die for everybody. He died for a special group of people called the elect. Um, irresistible grace, which means this. It, when you di- if you were one of the elect and you do get, when you do get saved, you have no choice in the matter, all right? It's a weird system because in the system, you were already chosen in him before the foundation of the world, and yet... Then you're lost, and then you have to be brought back into Christ. It's a very weird thing. It, listen, if you're newly saved and this is going over your head, don't worry about it. The only thing you know is this. When the Bible says whosoever, it means whosoever. Right. All right? And so irresistible grace is this. You have, you, are, you have no choice. When the Holy Spirit's working, then you, you just, it, it, he's going to do his work, and you have no choice in the matter. There, there's all kinds of issues with that. One of the easiest verses to quote is over there in Acts 7, where Stephen is, is uh, about to be stoned. He's preaching. And he says to those people, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. 
So if it's irresistible, I do not think that word means what you think it means, right? Um, and then the last one is this. Now, if, you're a, if you come from a more Reformed theological background, you may look at this last point and go, that's not what it is. That's what it was originally. They changed it. It used to be perseverance of the saints. And the way that you showed that you were one of the elect is by persevering to the end of your life and proving to everybody that you are really a Christian by living the Christian life all the way to the end of your life. There's so many issues with that. Let me start with this. Matthew 24, which is the main text for that. Don't go there right now. That has nothing to do with the New Testament Christian. That's a Jew in the tribulation. That's Israel running from the Antichrist. Nothing to do. By the way, the, the term elect, do you know it's not always a reference to a New Testament Christian? Sometimes it's a reference to Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is called the elect. Did you know that? All right. Sometimes it's a reference to Israel, Isaiah 45. Sometimes it is a reference to a New Testament Christian. I'm not going to deny that it is. Uh, but, but the problem with this is when you say elect is, and by the way, in Calvin's system of theology, it was basically, like I mentioned before, everyone was always saved the same way, all right? Uh, from the foundation of the world, God picked who be saved, who be lost in Christ, whatever. And so elect is elect is elect. Well, elect is not the same as, it's not the same word in every context. Sometimes it's Jesus, sometimes it's Israel, sometimes it's you as a New Testament Christian. But let's ask this question, all right? Did Jesus Christ only die for a limited amount of people? Or did he die for whosoever? All right, well, they would say, well, you're not looking at it the right way because really what that means is that means that the whosoever is among the elect. Is that what he says in John 3? Nowhere in the passage is that found. That idea is not found anywhere in there. And that idea is simply not found in your Bible at all. So let's just go through some things here really quickly. Uh, Whosoever is a uh, pronoun that means anyone. Can we start with that? Define, words matter, how they're defined matters, okay? Uh, look, if you would, at Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. Go to the end of your Bible. Revelation chapter 22. When the Lord says whosoever, he means whosoever. And the truth is, you choose whether or not you accept Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you know what you would do? You'd make God unrighteous. When you remove free will from the situation and you say, God made me this way, guys, think about that. God made me to be lost, so I'm just going to go to hell, and it's, it's just whatever. You know what you make God? You make God unrighteous by laying that blame for your sin. If everything is ordained by God, predestinated to be that way, then let me just say this. When uh, young people that shouldn't be messing around are messing around, you think that's predestined to be that way? Or do they choose that? All right. Uh, when you're stressed out and you go back to the bottle, or you go back to the pill, or you go back to the joint, or you go back to, you think God's ordained that? You choose that. That's why it's a dangerous system to get, in, to get into when you say, well, God just made it this way. No, no, no. God, God gave you the opportunity to choose. Whosoever will. Look at Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse number 17. And the spirit and the bride say what? It's an invitation from the Lord. At the end of our main service, you know what we have? We have an invitation. You know why? Because I never find the Bible where someone encounters Jesus Christ and there's no decision to be made. There's always some decision at the end of meeting Jesus Christ. So here he says, come and let him that heareth say, come and let him that is a thirst spiritually come. And he talks about that water of life in John 4. And whosoever, what's the next word? That implies that you have a choice in the matter. Whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. Look at Romans chapter number 10. 
Romans chapter number 10. There's no argument whatsoever that God knows from eternity past who's going to be saved, who's going to be lost, based on their choice. The argument enters, did God make them choose that? Did God make them decide to be lost? Or did God make them saved and they had no choice in the matter? The answer is, God knows, but God does not force. God's a gentleman. And he does not force or manipulate people. He goes, look, here are your choices. You can trust your righteousness or the righteousness of my son. Now, I don't have time to go into all the tenets of this false teaching, but I just want you to understand that when it says whosoever, it means whosoever. Look at Romans 10, verse number 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Now, in your Bible, there are three classes of people that God could ever speak to. The body of Christ. If you're saved, you're in that body. And then outside of that body, he either refers to Jew or Gentile. Jew, or in this case, the word Greek is used there, all right, basically to represent the Gentiles. It's either Jew or Gentile or the body of Christ. Well, if you're the body of Christ, you're already saved, all right? So what he does in verse number 12 is he lets you know, as it relates to salvation, there's no, anymore, you're not saved automatically just because you're of Israel, just because you're physically of the nation of Israel, you're not automatically saved, right? And listen, just because you're born in a church, in a, in a Christian family, doesn't make you saved. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Everyone comes the same way. Uh, verse 12, uh, it says here, there's no difference between Jew, the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that what? That's an act of your will. Look at verse 13. For, what's the next word? Shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be what? All right, look, if you would, at uh, Matthew chapter number 21, Matthew 21, Matthew 21, Matthew 21, and uh, what, what oftentimes happens in theological circles, and I realize most of you don't always run in those circles, but I'm just going to tell you anyways, when you start talking to people and you say, well, I don't, I don't accept this. I don't believe this. I believe I choose, I chose Jesus Christ, and by accepting him as my Savior, he made me part of his elect, all right? There's nothing wrong with that. When you do that, they go, oh, are you an Arminian? And you're going to go, I'm not from Turkey, right? <laughs> right? That, that's not the same, that's, that's anyways, that, that's spelled A-R-M-E-N, right? But this is a, a, a reference to a man named uh, Arminius in the same time that, uh, around which time Calvin and the Reformers were doing their thing, uh, he basically went in the other direction and said, it's all about free will. Even after you're saved, you can lose your salvation. Now, I, I'm not, obviously, we don't believe that either. Uh, the, the old joke is this, I'm an Arminian up to Calvary, meaning I believe you choose. Uh, when you get to the cross, I chose Jesus Christ, and after that, I'm a Calvinist. You say, why? Because the one thing the Calvinists got right is that once you're saved, you're always saved. All right, well, I'll, I'll go on board with that. So I'll be an Arminian up to the cross and a Calvinist. I don't put me in a box and go, are you this? I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I don't line up with either of those guys 100%. Uh, but, but if you want to put me in a box, I'll just say that. I'll say I'm an Arminian up to the cross and a Calvinist after that. Look at Matthew 21 and verse number 44. Matthew 21, verse number, I'm sorry, verse uh, 43. Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And what's the next word? Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. The stone is Jesus Christ. But on whomsoever it shall fall, second advent, second coming, it will grind him to powder. Now, let me, let me just go back, and can I, can I point out to you? Look at verse 42. Read that verse. Do you know what they did? Do you know why 
they would stumble on the stone, it wasn't because God made them, it's because they rejected Jesus Christ. You see that? The stone which the builders what? Rejected. That's you choosing to reject something. And if you reject Jesus Christ, then he's going to be a stone of offense, a stumbling stone to whosoever rejects him. All right? That's a matter of your will. Uh, Let's look at one more. Look at Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7. Whosoever absolutely means whosoever. Matthew chapter 7. Look, if you would, at verse number 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and, fell, and, 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 and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Now, he says, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Well, does that mean anybody? It sure does. Nowhere in the context are you going to find anything about any particular elect group of people that are reflective of the whosoever. Let me say it like this. If you've never been born again today, that whosoever applies to you. God wants you to get saved today. And if you don't get saved today, you can't blame God for that. That's your choice. All right? And listen, whatever path you take in your life, you can say, well, I see God's hand moving in these things, and, and, and God opened this door. And God, I'm not taking away from God's hand in your life and from what, the, the Bible, from what people call the, the overall sovereignty of God. And, but let me just say this. The sovereignty of God does not trump your free will. In other words, God does not make you choose what you choose. Otherwise, when you choose the wrong thing, guess whose fault it is? Right? So, so, so again, the idea is this. When the Lord says whosoever, he means whosoever. All right? Go back, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Whosoever believeth on him. I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. John chapter number 3. And you know what's terrible about it? If you If you actually talk now, Brother Steon grew up in South Africa, and the major church there is the Reformed Church. I remember going to the University of Pochepstruen. Okay, good. All right, we'll just call it Poch, all right? Uh, and going and witnessing some people. And college students in South Africa are far more uh, human in engagement than they are in America because we brainwash our college students to hate the Bible. Uh, but that said, I was there witnessing on campus, and uh, I remember this guy uh, talking to this guy, and he was, he was uh, respectful. And he goes, yeah, I, I believe I'm saved. And I said, okay, how, how did you know you were saved? When did you get saved? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm part of the elect. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I was born in, in the Reformed Church, and I was baptized in the Reformed Church, and I'm raised in this, and I believe it all, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to live a life to prove that I'm one of the elect. You say, what, is that, what does that turn into in a weird way? It turns into works in a weird way. Like, I'm trying, I'm going to prove that I'm saved by doing all the, I'm, I'm, I'm it, there's no mention of ever saying, I trusted the finished work of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. To, I'm not saying every Calvinist is lost. I didn't say that either. I believe many of them are saved. Most of them probably are. But when you go far into the Reformed Church, as it is in South Africa, many of those people may not be saved, based, at least based on that young man's testimony. That young man's testimony was, basically, I was born in a garage, therefore I'm a Ford. I'm born in a Christian home, therefore I'm a Christian, kind of what it was. All right, and you know that's not New Testament salvation. New Testament salvation is this. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. All right? Listen, if, if you're lost and you need to be saved, you can be saved today. 
If you're saved and you need to repent and there's some things in your life that aren't right, whosoever will, let him come. Get it right with God today. That's your choice. And if you don't make that choice, you cannot blame God for that. Look, if, if you would at John chapter 3, verse number 16. Brother, if you go to the next slide, look at verse 16. For God, so what? Man, I think the love of God may be one of the most misunderstood and twisted doctrines in the Bible. Because for many people, because God is love, therefore, whatever I do, God must love. And I, I know I've referenced it a couple of times in the last few weeks, but I watched this minister get up and say, God is queer, God is straight, God is trans, God is black, God is white, God is uh, a man, God is a woman, and you are God and God is you. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, basically, the un, all this was said under the guise of love is love. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't want to turn your stomach too much, but if a 40 year old man loves a five year old girl, are we okay with that? No. You say no right now. Give it ten years. The answer still should be no from your mouth. But I'm telling you where society is going. You may call me crazy and conspiracy theorist, but you're seeing it move in that direction already. And, and buddy, the thing is, you just keep adding acronyms to the LG, whatever else, and, and P's going to be in there pretty, pretty soon. And, and yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Beca and, oh, but there's a, there's a new word for it. It's not uh, pedophilia. That's a nasty word. Uh, I forget what the new thing is now. Uh, minor attract a mat, minor attractive person. Isn't that so nice? You're a pervert. You're a sicko. You're messed up, and you don't need to get anywhere near kids. And I don't, I'm not going to apologize for You should be nicer. No, they shouldn't be perverted, and there should be no reason why a preacher can't get in the pulpit and say that's wrong. You're living in a messed up society where the most vulnerable in our society are being offered up on the sacrifice of political correctness. I'm sorry, guys, but, man, this drag show, all that stuff, that's wicked. <laughs> Let me, if you think it's a, no, we should be open it. Okay, then let's have, I'm be, let's see. Let's have people whose nightlife profession involves uh, the diminishing of their clothing. Is that nice enough for everybody this morning? Let's have them come to the schools, ladies, come teach our girls. Is that going to be okay? How come they're not doing that? They may do it eventually, but you know why they're not? No one's, you know, it, it's funny how it works for one, but it doesn't work for the other. It's messed up, guys. Now, now the reason why you point out, because, well, God's love. So if God is love, he's okay with it. But you're, you're forgetting something. God's also holy. And, and the love of God is confined to his holiness. He says, he says, yeah, the Bible says God is love. It also says, I am holy. And so every aspect of the nature of God is, com is contrasted with this idea of, okay, what is, what is not just the love of God? What, what does holy love look like? And, and what, I, what, what you find out when you dig into the Bible is this. The, the highest form, the highest expression of love is not an emotion. It's not a perversion. It's not a, a lustful thing. It is an, a matter of sacrificing. It, the expression of love is giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave. There's nothing perverted about that at all. It is honorable. It is, it is, it is something that is esteemed in the eyes of God. True love is not just, I can't stop thinking about her. True love is you better stop thinking about her if you're not thinking about her the right way. Because if you loved her, you wouldn't be mentally undressing her in your mind. If this is a little too hard for some of you, first off, I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to tell you why right now. 
I know what you're watching all week long. I know what you scroll through. I know what you're looking at. I know what you're listening to. I'm in the world with you guys. I, when I get up and say these things, it's because I'm trying to wake you up to see how wicked and vile the world is. And it reminds you that the love of God is not a condonement for our sin. Let, let me just say this. God loves that which is righteous. Now, now I, I don't want to take away from the love of God either. See, this is the problem with this subject. Some people have God up there like Zeus with a lightning bolt waiting for you to mess up. And the moment you do, God's like, yeah! That's how some bible Christians look at God, and that's twisted. But then some of you have God like a, I don't know, mix between Santa Claus and like a hippie, you know? Like, whatever you want, guys, you know? And, you know, and you know, he's okay with whatever I want because God is love, after all. Yeah, but he's, he's holy love. He's not the fallen nature version of love. God is not lust. God is not unbridled love. God is not, I want it, I can take it, therefore I will, and I'll call it love. And, and, then, and by doing so, I can get away with all kinds of ungodliness. Listen, just because you call, if I took this, this cup and filled it with, you know, I'll just say Bacardi rum because it's Puerto Rican, it's closer to home. And I, and I put on there Christian Bacardi. Does it get you closer to God by getting hammered with Christian Bacardi? I didn't think so. So just because you put a stupid label, I said stupid for a reason. Just because you put a stupid label on something doesn't mean that it's right in the eyes of God. So if it's not, listen, you go, well, love is love. Okay, well, you've got to draw a line somewhere. If it's not okay for pedophiles, why is it okay for them? Like, where are you going to draw a line? Who, 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 who puts this all together? By the way, I'm an American. You know what I think, honestly? If you're an adult... Do whatever in the world you want to do. Leave the kids alone. If you're an adult, do whatever you want to do. But don't force me to say that what you're doing is right. That's the problem I've got. I do whatever you want to do. I am a red, white, and blue man. Do whatever you want. Stay in your corner. Leave me alone. But when you tell me that I'm hateful, I don't hate you. I don't want to kill you. I don't want to. But all I'm telling you is, no, this is wrong in the eyes of God. And if you don't draw a line somewhere under the guise of love, you will promote all kinds of ungodliness, even in your own life. This is not just a societal thing. When you're doing something that you know is wrong, if you're not killed, well, you know, I know God loves me. Yeah, but God is also holy, and everything that's done, you will give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every one of us will give account of himself to God. So, yes, God is love, and thank God that he is. But can I, let me ask this question, is God's love, it's a kind of a tricky question, I realize that, I realize that, you know, we kind of pick on the, pre- I'm going to, whoa, easy, I'm going to kind of walk around that thing there, um, we, we kind of pick on the preachers that do this thing, you know, who loves God here today, if you love God, raise your hand, <laughs> you just lied, put your hand down, because <laughs> if you love God, you would tithe more, you know, or something like that, I don't know. Like, that's, I don't want to be that guy, but, but let me ask this question. Is God's love conditional or unconditional? You know what the answer is? Yes. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, look at Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8. We'll close here because we're running out of time. Um, I know you guys are surprised that we're running out of time. <laughs> but we are. Um, Look at Romans chapter 8. And you know what the Bible says once you're saved? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's a blessing. All right, look at Romans 8 verse 38. For I am persuaded, you need to be persuaded this morning if you're not, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, 
nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to You talk about a great insurance policy. This is it right here. Nor height, nor depth. You ever read insurance policy with a fine print? I'm kind of looking at this going, where's the fine print? Thank God there's no fine print. This is the fine print, man. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Is that where it stops in the verse? There's a qualifier in where you find the love of God. So here's, here's what I'm trying to tell you. You want to be on the love of God? You have to be in Christ. If you're outside of that, you're under the condemnation of God. John 3.18. If you're saved and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be in the love of God, which is in Christ. So I'd say it like this. There's one condition for the love of God. You got to be in Christ. And then once you're in Christ, guess what? You experience, once you're in Christ, as his child, the unconditional love of God. But it all still goes back to the fact that the reason why you experience that is because you are in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That means you've been a born-again child. You become a born-again child of God. When that happens, you experience the love of God. And now listen, let me just, I don't want to, I, I think maybe I, I could have run the risk of diminishing the love of God by talking about some things that are just so whacked out in our society. I don't want to do that either. Can I just say this? It is an amazing thought that the creator, the one that gave you life, knows everything about you. Everything. Everything. Right? I'm talking, if a camera could walk around with you everywhere you go and monitor your thoughts, you know. Ladies, you got a nice new dress on and some lady walks in from the other side of the church with the same dress on? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, guys, someone walks by, and not that you're trying to look at it, but someone from the opposite sex walks by with something that's a little too form-fitting and you happen to catch a glance. Nothing wrong with that, but then when you look again, you're in trouble. You realize God knows everything about you? And He still loved you. Do you know why He loves you? Oh, because I'm such a great person. <laughs> of course He loves me. No, he, he loves you because when He looks at you as His child now, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And when he looked at his son, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So now when he looks at you, he no longer sees your sin. He sees the finished work of Jesus Christ in your life. Let's stop there. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to go verse by verse in John, Lord, just to learn some things. And Father, I pray you bless the study. I pray that you'd balance these things out in our hearts and minds equally, Lord, with equity. Lord, you'd help us not to uh, Lord, go so far in one direction that we forget to, to view you in a balanced way. Lord, uh, we know that you're righteous and holy, and, and we understand that, and we don't make light of that. We're also very thankful for your mercy and your love. And God, uh, we understand the reason that we can be saved today is because, Lord, you keep us, or as it says, you keep us by your power in the love of God, which is in Christ. We love you, Lord. Ask your blessing on the next hour. In Jesus' name, amen.